0: This is episode number seven with Australia's Motorsport icon, John Bow. Welcome back to Talking with TK. I'm your host, Tristan Connell. Got an exciting episode today. I've got V8 supercar and motorsport icon, John Bow. John, when I was growing up, was someone that uh, I truly respected. We grew up in the era when, you know, Peter Brock was around, Larry Perkins, Dick Johnson. There's a whole heap of guys that really just had a great sort of rivalry on the V8 supercar terrain here in Australia and then we had the likes of Craig Lowndes and Greg Murphy and Mark Scaife really come into their own and we've had we've been blessed to have such great icons and characters with the sport for a number of years, and it even is continuing now with some of the younger blokes coming in. But I'm really excited to get John on the show. I used to watch him all the time, especially around Bathurst time, when I used to watch it with guys like my brother and these friends. And it's going to be really interesting just to pick his brain. You know, his longevity. He's been at the top for so long, and for to think that he's won six different national champions sorry six national championships in four different categories, also winning Bathurst twice. So it's going to be really Really exciting just to get him on and pick his brain it's with everything that he's doing. Before we get John on the show, I just want to send a massive shout out to all you guys that have subscribed and left five-star reviews. I really appreciate it. And if you can, please share it with your family and friends. Tag me on things on social media. I'm at Tristan Cannell across Facebook and also on my Instagram. On my Twitter, I'm Tristan Cannell Fitness. Or if you want to get in touch with me, please send me an email at Tristan at talkingwithtk.com. Now without further ado, let's get our special guest on. He's the one, the only, John Bau. Alright, my special guest is John Bau. John is a legend of Australian motorsport and a multiple Australian champion, having twice won during the Formula Mondial era, securing an Australian sports car championship and winning the Australian touring car championship in 1995. He's the only driver in motorsport history to win six national championships in four categories, while he's also won the prestigious Bathurst 1000 twice, once in 1989 and the second time in 1994. that's not enough, he's also been an inductee into the V8 Supercar Hall of Fame. My special guest today is John Bow. John, welcome to the show, my mate. Thank you, Tristan. How are you, mate? Doing really, really well. Unfortunately for yourself, you're not doing that great. Tell us a little bit about the weekend, mate, because you won, but unfortunately you're injured.
1: Well, uh, the the Touring Car Masters, which is the category I compete most in, we had... uh, we always have a, a reverse grid race. Usually it is at the end of the weekend, but this time it was at the front of the weekend, uh, designed to make people be a bit more cautious, no, not so crazy.
0: Yeah.
1: And, it, and it was good. It worked well. We, we had a, a trouble-free race. And then the second race, which is the normal scratch race based on qualifying times, we had a second corner incident which took out about eight cars including me and was I was punched into the wall and I broke my ribs yeah. so so I've got three broken ribs so I'm in a bit of uh, bit of discomfort to be honest which so I'm not overly happy about it but not much you can do about it now after the fact
0: yeah jB after all these years what keeps you motivated to keep racing
1: uh, well uh, I mean I, I'm asked that quite often uh, I, I think it's just the, my love of the, the driving part you know i i love driving all sorts of different cars uh i i guess my heart is probably in open wheeler stuff because that's what i started but but i just love driving i love being at the track i love being involved in it i love sort of sorting the car out and you know mixing with racing people it's just it's been my life since i was a teenager you know and i, and I still love it so that It keeps me going. I've got an inbuilt sense of competitiveness about me. I try not to take it ridiculously seriously like, you know, like I did back in the day, you know, when I was, it was my my source of income and, you know, it was what I ate, slipped and breathed. but, But I've still got a fair amount of brain training, so it's still important to me that I do a good job for myself, you know. So, yeah. I guess so. It's been a, it's been a long time, but I have no intention of stopping. So I, I think I'll, I'll consider I'll have a thing about retirement when I'm eighty.
0: Uh, <laughs> <laughs> dad, have you ever had a full time job apart from racing? Yeah,
1: yeah, mate, I have. Yes, of course. Um, my dad uh, was a car dealer. I had a car like a, a dealership in Tasmania in Devonport, which is where I grew up. Yes, yeah. and I and I worked there for for a, quite a long time you know I mean the guys today that do VH 8 guys they don't they I think they ride their cycles and jet ski I think that's what they do but I used to work all the, all the years I drove for Dick Johnson
0: yeah
1: uh, I, I had a proper job you know so yeah I um, nowadays I do things for the people that support me like companies you know I'm a, a product ambassador for various people rear spares and I um have uh, involvement with Liquamolly and Wilson Security and Pace Developments and all, all sorts of things. So I try and do it's basically P.R.E. type work. So it's it's still a job, but it's yeah. not it's not quite a the nine to life. five type job. You know. Yeah,
0: exactly right. JB, you mentioned that mental edge, and you you mentioned growing up in Tasmania. Did you always have a bit of an underdog mentality when you first started? <laughs>
1: I think most Tasmanians feel downtrodden,
0: you know, because they,
1: <laughs> they they leave us off the map half the time. Yeah. Uh no, not really, mate. I I grew up in a racing family. My my dad used to race, uh, you know, at sort of club level in Tasmania. There was there's two tracks, there's two, two tracks in Tasmania, Simmons Plains and Baskerville, which is down south. And you know, as a family, we used to go there and. Us kids, I've got two brothers. We used to collect Cordial bottles. Now, man used to race his little MG Special. Yeah. So, so I, I was sort of, uh, you know, we we just grew up to be motor racing people. I think all my brothers had a crack at it. My youngest brother, Robin, he raced bikes, and my other brother, Terry, he he raced cars for a while. But I was the only one that kept at it. Um, and I, you know, I kept at it because I love it. So I've been in many ways very lucky, very fortunate because I've had a lot of help along the way, you know, from lots of people and lots of companies. So I, uh, I've, you know, whilst I don't feel that great at the moment because my ribs are twinging as I talk to you, but, <laughs> the, the, uh, you know, I've, I've had a, you know, a very fortunate life in as much as I've been able to follow my dream, you know.
0: Yeah. JB, nearly, when you think about it, when you were 15 when you started, you lied on your birth... What was it? You lied with your birth, birth age? so yeah. yeah, so I could get a licence. So you nearly... Well, when you think about it, do you kind of believe in fate because it was just meant to be?
1: Oh, yeah, I guess you do a bit. I mean, yeah, yeah. why, you know... Like, oh, we were having a talk about it on the way up, actually. Why uh, do some people get opportunities... I mean, I've raced against Skies over the years, plenty of people that were fantastic drivers, and they didn't uh, either, A, make a career out of it, or they didn't go on with it. Yeah. So for what reason? Why does that happen? I don't know. You, you got It's got to be fate for some, some reason, doesn't it? You yeah. know, It was, it was a fateful... For, uh, for instance, early in my racing life, I was taken on by Gary, the late Gary Cooper, who... Was the, the brains and the force behind Elf and racing cars in Australia, which were very well known in the sixties and seventies, and he took an interest in me and helped me. So that that that's fateful, uh, you know. How I got to drive with Dick Johnson? I mean, that was that was fake too, because as I joined his team, his development work on the Sierras was about to take hold. Yeah. So I joined at a successful time. So, you know, I, you, you got to believe in fate. And really, it's, it's, I'm not trying to be a, a, you know, some sort of guru or anything. But I, I think I've, I'm very lucky, and I and I know I'm very lucky.
0: Yeah, yeah. you know, you, you spoke actually just about you know we both spoke about luck and fate. But realistically, with your skills, you know, there's not a lot that separates all the drivers. What do you think your point of difference was?
1: um I don't know whether I had a point of difference. Oh, I think uh, obviously I, I was okay at doing it, at driving it, but I was also quite user-friendly, you know, like a sponsor-friendly, team-friendly, per- people-friendly. I think that helps not being difficult to get on with, you know, go on with the flow a bit. I, someone in the room, he just laughed. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
0: uh,
1: uh, yeah I, yeah, I don't know, I don't know, mate, I, I try and make a, you know, make friends with everyone I've got, you know, I, I haven't got a, I have got a, s- a strong nature, but I haven't got an abrasive nature, so I always got on pretty well with the people I was racing with, whether they be, you know, the team, the mechanics, the team managers, the sponsors or whatever, so I think that helps, I think it helps your longevity, if people like you. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I think I got that probably got that from my dad. You know,
0: he's a pretty friendly character. Yeah, nice. You know, I'll tell you a little secret. My brother and his friends, when I was growing up, they he all, they all used to love Peter Brock and Holden. Yeah, yeah. Okay, but I secretly yeah. liked you and Dick Johnson, but I wouldn't tell them. <laughs> but oh, that's, that's good. Because what would happen was when I first started like watching v like it was Brock, 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 but the only two guys that would really just match him and beat him was you and Dick. And I wouldn't have the balls to actually tell them that because they would have beat me up. But, um, yeah, secretly I was, I was going for you two.
1: Yeah, well, um, I mean, when, when I came into it, it was it was obviously a Brock and Dick show. You know, they were like they were Australian icon motorsport people, weren't they? So... I quite often say to people, I drove along on Dick Johnson's coattails, you know, but I uh, I spent 11 years in his team. I was very much part of his his family, really. So I, I consider that to be a pretty pretty fortunate part of my life, really. But, you know, things change, and I moved on in the belief that I was going to do better out of it, which, you know, I sort of did and didn't. But uh, the one thing I learned from him, you don't... Can't uh, achieve anything by looking backwards.
0: Yeah. How'd you first met, meet Dick?
1: Uh, I met him, properly met him. I mean, obviously, I used to race open wheelers when he was at the track, you know, racing his XD and his XE Falcon, you know, those green stuff, famous things, you know. Yeah.
2: Uh,
1: but I met him properly in 80 six i was racing the volvo so i was brought into the volvo dealer team which was a factory supported team uh for the third round of the championship in 1986 and robbie francevic was the the lead driver and i met dick and jill then because jill was before electronic timing jill used to have a briefcase with about 10 stopwatches in it and she could time the whole field so I'd always go over and see how everyone was going, you know, so yeah. I got I got to know them that way, and then um, in the following year, 87, we had a, there was a little series, it's like a celebrity series, for want of a better term, and it was in Nissan Poulter ETs, and Dick was one of the drivers, and I was invited to drive in it as a, as a representative of the open wheeler field, you know, yeah. most of the other guys were touring car drivers, or rally drivers or whatever. So I got to know him better then. So, you know, I think for 88, when he needed a driver, um, I, I don't know, I must have been in front centre of his mind or something, I don't know, I don't really know. i never ask him to be
0: honest. So did they court you? What was the process like for you signing with the team?
1: Well, he, he rang me, Dick rang me, and, and he goes, which is typical of Dick, he goes, uh, you got anything going on next year? This is the end of 87. And I go, well, I've got a few things maybe boiling, but the Volvo team had, had disbanded. Uh, so he goes, well, don't, don't do anything before you talk to me. In other words, don't do a deal with anyone else before you talk to him. So whatever that means. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, a few weeks later, I called him back and I said, listen, you know, I need to, make a decision, have you got something going for sure? And he goes, yeah, let me, give me a few hours. And then he, obviously, he spoke to Shell. Shell was his major sponsors then. And, and so we did a deal. It wasn't very hard. I mean, I of course, I wanted to drive for him. It was a, you know, a professional team and a professional drive. And, you know, I I knew uh, that the Sierra was the car to have. I just didn't know how good his were going to be. And as it turned out, they were good.
0: Yeah.
1: So, so lucky, strike a luck.
0: JB, what was the difference between winning Bathurst in 1989 and then coming back to do it again in
1: 1994? Uh, well, 89, it was a bit of a a, you know, a, bit, bit of a certain amount of disbelief. I was, it was only my second year in the team. I'd raced at Bathurst 85, 86, 87, 88. We had come, Glenn Seton and I had come second in 87, in the Nissan, and Dick and I had come second in 88, so then 89 we won and i i just i kind of i didn't take it in as well as i wish i had now i just kind of expected it because we i'd come second twice anyway which is not all that easy to do subsequently found out um uh but the 94 i was much more
2: involved with the team and much more entrenched in how it all worked and what went
1: on and the development of the car and all that stuff so I, uh, you know, I enjoyed the, 80, the 94 race a lot, a lot more. I, was, I felt more of a, a participator and a contributor to it. And let's face it, I mean, motor racing, you don't win anything unless you got the right people behind you and with you.
0: Yeah.
1: And it was no different then than it is now. You, know, you have to look at DJ Team Penske now and they've got, all of a sudden they've got the right mix and look at the way they're going, you know, and there's hardly anything changed, just a few
0: people. Yeah, in terms of the preparation for a Bathurst, how far in advance do you guys start planning?
1: Uh, Back then, I wasn't as... I don't don't know really how to answer that. I mean, back then, I didn't plan anything. I just turned up. Yeah. I, I, uh, I lived in Tassie, and, you know, obviously, of course, you... There's a big build-up to Bathurst in your mind, mentally, but it's not that I really planned anything. You just try and make sure you're fit enough, and you, you know, you're healthy enough. And the the team, the work was done at the factory where Dick's operation was, and you know, I just turned up, met him in Sydney, and we drove up. So nowadays, I think it's probably even more complicated oh, yeah. because because of the strategies and things like that, but. Back then, you know, we had a, a guy at the Shell service station in Orange telling us what the weather was going to do. <laughs> so so there's no, there wasn't any uh, radars and <laughs> any of this high-tech stuff I've got now.
0: So do you guys kind of stay well outside of Bathurst?
1: No, 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 we stayed at Bathurst, right okay. in the city, in the, in the, well, it is the city, I think. is um, a great place. Uh, you know, the, the people of Bathurst, uh, I think that rightly, very proud of their racetrack, and uh, they, they're very much a part of it. I race there each year still. I love racing in Bathurst. The, the Bathurst Council's right behind it, and all the people are, you know, hyped up on it. It's fantastic.
0: Yeah. Would you just stay indoors during night, or would you go out and mix with the with the crowds?
1: Uh, no, not really. We just we used to eat at the track, yep. which they still do. Um, so we eat at the track, and then we. Leave and go to the motel where we stayed. Stayed in various motels around the place. And, uh, you know, you just get an early night. It was it's quite a big big week, Bathurst. It was then and it still is. You know, it's, it's plenty on. There's plenty of sponsor stuff on, plenty of practice on, plenty of debriefing type stuff on. It's quite
0: a taxing week. Yeah. JB, is there any year that you thought that you raced better than the time that you actually won and didn't actually win?
1: Uh, the year, 96, when Lowndes and, um, uh, North? Greg Murphy yeah. won, I thought we did a very good job, we came second. Um, I think we were at a tyre disadvantage then, because this is, remember, this was the open tyre days, so that we had Yokohama, Bridgestone and Dunlop, and we were always contracted to Dunlop. Yeah, And, of, of course, your fortunes rose and fell with how the tyre engineers were going. And they're all Japanese brands, of course. So, uh, I think that year we we did a very good job, but we didn't win. Um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's sometimes you, like in the um, in the Caterpillar days when I drove with, with Caterpillar, uh, two thousand and one, I think we we certainly could have won the race. I we had a, a car that was really good, and um, the guy my co-driver. Ended up being a bit ambitious in the in a passing manoeuvre that bent the car. So, so unfortunately, that one got away. Yeah. Uh, yeah, you know, I mean, life's up and down, isn't it? I mean, motor racing. <laughs> one thing, you, one thing you have to be in motorsport is resilient. If you if you, were, if, you let, <laughs> if you let disappointments get you down, you jump off the bridge.
0: Yeah, for sure. JB, you mentioned that name Craig Lowndes. When when Loundsy first came onto the scene, you know, obviously he had a lot of success very early at a young age. Were you yeah. guys? Did you hear about him before he came onto the scene?
1: Uh, well, I know. I mean, I, I, I don't well, of course, and um, I've never really asked him about it. But the the his success was was John Crennan from H. Uh, HRT or HSV, he was the boss of HSV, and Jeff Gretch, who's now the crew chief for Ch- Charlie's Swarcold's team, the Preston High team with Lee Holdsworth, yeah. but he, they both put the energy, effort and money into Craig, so they took him to all the tracks around Australia uh, when you could test as much as you wanted to, and used to give him lots and lots of mileage and lots and lots of practice he did lots of lots of tire testing for Bridgestone so he had a really good opportunity so we all everyone knew this was going on and of course so when he turned up no one was really surprised first of all HRT had very good cars anyway So factory you know Holden team and he and Craig had had all this um you know mileage and practice which is a big help of course but still had to do the job and he's subsequently proven to be a great driver and he is a great driver. I, I drove with him uh, and Peter Edwards and Mick Salo at the Bathurst 12-hour in 2014 and, you know, one of the most fun weekends of racing I've ever had just because he's he's a great bloke, got a good sense of humour and we had a lot of fun and we won the race, so that's all good.
0: Yeah, with the 12-hour racing, how long are you in, in the car at a time?
1: Uh, generally, because of the, the rules allow they won't allow you to refuel and change the tyres at the same time. So okay. you've got to you've got to change the tyres and then you're allowed to refuel or vice versa. So generally because of that and the nature of the track surface at Bathurst, you could do a, a two runs of fuel with one set of tyres. So you're in the car for you know, a minimum of two hours at a time, probably two and a quarter, two hours, 20 minutes. So it's, pretty, it's a pretty decent stint. Yeah. In, in, a, in a hot environment, you would think those rear-engine cars wouldn't be hot, but they are very hot. A lot of the radiators and things are at the front, so it all soaks back into you, and you get quite hot. Yeah. Not quite as hot as a V8.
0: Guys, we hope you're enjoying the episode with John Bauer. If you haven't yet, please subscribe via iTunes or Stitcher, or for you Android users, you can check us out. Via www.talkingwithtk.com. We had some action packed other episodes with the likes of Mark Hunt, George Cambosis, Mark Ocalupo. The one I really think that you enjoy, especially if you're a bit of a rev head or a motorsport uh, fan, is the one with Robbie Madison. And here's a sneak peek into our episode with Robbie.
2: that cool i'd love the i'd love the support of australia man i appreciate the interview and the time and uh you know i'm just a blue-collar guy i'm here i'm australia and i just i'm just flying the flag you know i'm just i'm here to represent every aussie that has struggles and we all have them we're all human and i just like to think that after my career is over i can travel australia and connect with all my brothers and sisters out there and just be a strength to people you know just want people to be able to be able to have the strength to face tough times and not give in you know and, and and that's that's pretty much my motto is i've i've done the impossible and i want the stuff that i've done to resonate with with uh, with the men and women of australia and of the world and to let them know that when times get tough take a deep breath you know because time heals all wounds and uh and we, we get older we get wiser and sometimes when you let things go you know in, in time they all make sense again And I hope that that the strength in those words can can resonate with people and help them get through their toughest times and be their best and live
0: life in peace. Guys, well, we hope you enjoyed that sneak peek. Please check out the entire episode right now, straight after the show we've done with John. But if you have any feedback from me, I can be found at Tristan at TalkingWithTK.com. But for now, let's get back to the show. In terms, you know you have brought up the heat and things like that you know you'd have to be very very fit to actually drive a car can we get a few insights into before you actually race the week before like what sort of training were you doing
1: well i mean now i train in a random way because i don't do well, for instance if i was going to do some long distance gt races as i did last year well then i would up my training a bit yeah prior to you know a month before but um it's funny, you know, like motor racing back in the 70s and 80s was not seen as a, as a athletic pursuit as it is now. So, basically, I mean, I didn't start training at all until I was in my 30s, you know, okay. really. yep. Mm, didn't at all. No, I, I just nobody thought of it. It just didn't do it. So, you know, I think some of the drivers, and I won't mention any names, they used to um, train on, Benson and Edges and Bundy. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I <think.
1: laughs> so, but I mean, as I, as I learned more about it, you know, the, the sports science knowledge became much more accessible. I, you know, started training more. So, you know, I used to, in my 38 supercar days, I trained six days a week, you know, with uh, weight training, strength training, and cardio training. But um, a lot of the guys now, I believe, do cycling. You know, they're very keen on cycling. I think that's probably good for your cardio strength and good, good for your, your leg strength, which is, you know, the brake pressures are pretty high in those cars.
0: Yeah, I was actually speaking to David Reynolds last year, and he was into all paleo, and his training, his training regime is pr- pretty, uh, pretty out there as well. So
1: it's, uh, yeah, he used to training. cycle quite a lot, even when, I, when he was driving Porsches and I was in V8s. Um, paleo I'm not sure about that mate. I don't think <laughs> that's probably I think that's probably a, probably more of an occupation for rabbits
2: <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah I think you've got to have an awareness of being healthy but you know you don't have to you know you're not, you're not doing the marathon and the Olympics
0: yeah hey JB given how fast you were driving on the tracks just two questions number one how fast is? what's the fastest speed you've ever driven and number two were you ever scared
1: uh First answer to the question is, is the fastest I've ever been in a car is on the road. Uh, two years ago, I went to the Northern Territory with, with Bentley okay. and drove a road-going Continental GT speed, road-going straight off the showroom down the Stuart Highway with a, with a GPS speedo in it uh, at 338 kilometres an hour. So it was a s- straight-off-the-showroom road car. Wow. So, so at Bathurst, you never, even in a V8 supercar, it only makes 300 kilometres an hour. So the funny thing about it is my fastest speed in a road car is, in a car in general terms is in a road car. And uh, I wouldn't say I've been scared, mate, but I, I, there's a few times in uh, that I thought, oh, I wonder why I'm here. One one was at Bathurst in 92 when it was uh, raining torrentially and we were in the it was the last year of the Sierras and of course the wind the heat of the floor because of the turbo used to just steam up the windows before heated screens, before any of that sort of stuff before we were prepared for for that sort of rainfall. And I was going down this conrad straight and I could not see two foot in front of me and I was looking out the side window to see where the white line was. Uh, I had this random thought run through my head said, I wonder why I'm here. I used a few expletives at that time as well. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, yeah, so that's, you know, but generally I think if you're scared you probably shouldn't be doing it. You can be anxious or nervous or whatever but I don't think scared is something you need to be.
0: Yeah. What about on the road now? What sort of car do you drive?
1: Well, I, I have a few different ones but um, I'm a car enthusiast. Like at the end of the day, it's, it's not just motor racing I love, I love cars, and I love the car world, and I spend my whole life in it in various ways. Um, I've, I've had a, a Volvo uh, XC60, which is an SUV, yeah. and I mean, in terms of, I've got a f- couple of cars that are like enthusiast cars, but I don't drive them very often. <laughs> so <you>? so <laughs> really, uh, I mean, I've, be- I've become everything I used to criticise people for.
0: Are you totally different on the road? Are you a bit of a, like a driving Miss Daisy on the road just to kind of mix it up?
1: Yeah, I am a bit now, yeah. Because only because, I mean, I love driving, uh, but the, the, the cameras and the road rules and things now, they preclude enjoyable motoring, I think. Because you can't, you know, cars are so good nowadays, you can't get any great. Thrill out of driving them at hundred kilometers an hour.
0: So, yeah,
1: exactly right. So, so I think as as a, when I grew up, you know, it was a it was this, thrilling, motoring was was something you really loved, and I don't think, you you can get that anymore except in in perhaps an older car. Like I've got an old, uh, it's old, it's uh, fifty, it's a nineteen sixty
0: two Jaguar E Type Roadster,
1: Ooh, beautiful, and uh, that is quite a. You know, a, a motoring thrill to take it somewhere.
0: Yeah.
1: If you drive it up to, say, Winton or somewhere, you know, because uh, uh, it, it, it's the speed limit. It's it's doing it quite comfortably, but you know you're driving. You know, it's not like a modern day car you could drive with your little toes, couldn't you? Yeah, at you the speed to, limit. Yeah, exactly. So I can't wait, to be honest, till we end up with um, driverless cars, so I can sit in the back and read a magazine.
0: <laughs> exactly right, mate. <laughs> Hey, JB,
1: after, just
0: looking back at your profile, you've pretty much achieved everything. You know, If, if I'd achieved everything that you had, I'd, ha- I'd have a pretty big head. So my question oh. is, in all these years, who kept you accountable?
1: Um, I think my, in my early racing days, my dad was quite a, uh, a taskmaster in as much as he, he stopped me getting big-headed. Yeah. You know, when you're younger, it's easy to get big-headed and get a bit full of yourself. So I think he stopped me doing that early on. And then as I got older, I I, I realised that you can't do anything without the help of others, and you can't, you know, you're as good as the car you're sitting in, and that is provided by other people, you know, mechanics, engineers, sponsors, whatever. So I think that's just kept my feet fairly well planted on the ground. It doesn't mean I don't enjoy it when I'm having a good run, Uh, I, uh, I love racing and I love, you know, going well at it. But, you know, at the end of the day, uh, Sunday night you go home, you, it doesn't actually change your life, but particularly now for me. You know, I mean, I've I've raced at, at quite a high level and I still like racing when I race, but it's not, you know, it's not going to change my life. So, yeah, I just I think I'm quite normal. I don't know whether everyone would agree with that, but I think I am.
0: All right, JB, one one question I really want to ask you about is, I know you're an ambassador for uh, Beyond Blue. Yes. So I know you've been very open in talking about your own struggles with depression. So I've just got a couple of questions just around there. I just wanted to start with maybe a little bit of advice for people that are doing tough at the moment.
1: Well, uh, I didn't do this in the, the instance where, I mean, I think I've been predisposed to depression, all my life, but didn't know it. Um, And when I really suffered badly from depression, I didn't seek help for it for a long time. But So what I always do to people is don't let it get a total hold of you. You've got to go to your doctor, your normal GP, and you've got to talk to them about it first. Now, whether you end up at a psychiatrist or a psychologist or uh, taking antidepressant or anxiety meds or whatever, everybody's different. And there's no clear path for anyone, but you've got to do something about it. And quite early on, because once it gets a hold of you, it is really very, very debilitating. And it gets to the point where people take their lives for it, you know, because the the pain is bad enough, and the, the, the you know you just can't see a way through it, away from it. Yeah. Uh, so um, I also do some. Help with uh, uh, coats hire are very involved with Black Dog Institute. Um, Dick Johnson and I went to Queensland recently to Mackay to a, a big motor show they have up there, which was raising money for the Black Dog Institute. So they do research into depression, anxiety. So you know it's 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 quite an epidemic nowadays, and and uh, and a lot of people suffer from it. So there's no shame in talking about it. No, no shame if you suffer from it, but you need to go and get some help.
0: Yeah, my other my other question was just on the other foot. I don't really see too many people giving advice for when you see your own loved ones going through it. Would you have advice for people that are seeing their loved ones go through their struggles?
1: Well, yes, mate. I mean, it's, it's the same thing, though. I, um, a lot of I, for some reason. People, particularly men, think it's it's a sign of weakness to be depressed, but it's actually it, it, depression is a, is a imbalance of, of chemicals in your brain. So it's not you know it's not a sign of weakness. It's just something that's like an illness. So uh, if you if someone in your family is suffering from it, all you can do is try and get them to go to the doctor, try and support them, try and understand. Because a lot of people do not understand what depression is. Because unless you've suffered from it, you know how are you going to know what it feels like?
0: Yeah, exactly right. Well, John, I really appreciate you sharing that with us. Before I let you leave, I want everyone following John. He's at www.johnbowl.com.au. He's very active on his social media. You can follow him on his Facebook and his YouTube channel, which is brilliant. It's John Bow Racing. Now, John, before I let you leave, final question, buddy. For people, it's another advice question, but for people chasing their dreams and trying to get something going, you know, you've, you've achieved it, you've been at the top for so long. What advice do you have for other people trying to chase their dreams?
1: Well, if they want to, if they, if they want to chase a dream of motor racing, you've got to do motor racing, you know. I mean, not everybody has... Opportunities to get to the top level. and everybody has the skill to get to the top level, but there's a lot of motor racing goes on where you can actually enjoy yourself. You can do it in a in a various categories, lots of different categories, where there's a great deal of camaraderie between the drivers, the participants, the teams. You know, it's it's, it's a great world, and you can have a lot of fun. And if you happen to be good at it, and the dice rolls your way, who knows where it will take you? But Take up motor racing to to enjoy, you know, don't take up motor racing because you want to be a world champion because your chances of that are very, very remote. But, you know, there's lots of fun to be had in motorsport and I see that more and more now, you know, because I'm not as living in a bubble, uh, I see lots of different sorts of racing. Like this weekend, I'm not racing because I've got my ribs broken, but... Uh, I was going to race at the Winton Short Circuit historic meeting just because it's so much fun and there's lots of people like me around so you can either get a go-kart which is probably the cheapest cheapest form of racing or look at some of the state level stuff you know there's lots of different classes historic racing, proof production racing all sorts of things but have a go at it don't talk about it.
0: (laughs) Exactly right. John Bauer, I really want to thank you for joining me on Talking With TK, and I wish you all the best for the Touring Car Masters, and let's hope those ribs clean up nice and easy so you can get over to Darwin. Great.
1: Thanks, Tristan. Good on you, mate. You're
2: a good, uh, you're a good interviewer.
0: Thanks, buddy. Guys, we hope you enjoyed the episode with John Bauer. If you haven't yet, check out some of our other episodes. We've had the likes of Mark Hunt, and George Cambosis. One I think you really enjoy is the one with Robbie Madison, Mark Ocalupo Paul Chief Harrigan, and Merv Hughes. Next on the show, the V8s kind of flavour will continue. We've got Greg Murphy on the show, so a bit of a Kiwi feel, but he's been a legend of V8s as well. So I think all you rev heads and all you motorsport lovers are really gonna love the back-to-back episodes between John John Bow and then again with Greg Murphy. If you haven't yet please subscribe via iTunes or Stitcher and on iTunes if you could leave me a five-star review. For Android users, please check out the website, www.talkingwithtk.com. Before I let you go, if you can, really share it with your family and friends. You can get in touch with me. I'm on social media at Tristan Connell or send me a quick email at tristan at talkingwithtk.com. But until next time, I'm Tristan Connell and this was Talking With TK.